life is being lived just now. Chapel has not been something that I've been able to get to as often as I would like. I did a quick calculation, actually, yesterday, and I've gone to over 1,400 chapels in the midst of my education and life, so it was a very minor part of my life. Myrna sometimes says you've never lived in the normal world, and probably that is true. <laughs> but it is good to be with you this morning. And Harry Gardner suggested this theme to me of long-suffering, and we'll come to perhaps why in a little while. Myrna's sister and brother-in-law visited us this week, and after we went to uh, dinner together at Kai Wing Restaurant, we went to La Boutique. Sometimes they call it Frenchies, but that's where we went. <laughs> <laughs> All sorts of treasures you can find at Frenchies, and I picked up this little book, God Speaks. You may have be familiar with that poster campaign that went about uh, 18 years ago in the United States, in which a philanthropist gave $150,000 and said, I'd like to have something that would be on posters that would cause people who have once been in faith to think about faith again anew and afresh. Now, I always started the book section, but at other things, and Myrna said, well, you're going to tell them you've got your shoes and your sweater and your tie there, too? No, I won't tell you that. But yes, that's true. What's sort of cute is that it's laid out in this kind of format, and it's part of a poster campaign, black with white letters. You drive by some morning and you hear, you see, hi, God. I've missed you, God. We really need to work on our relationship, God. Lost, God. I'd love to uh, include all of them because there's some great. If we don't communicate, you haven't got a prayer. God. <laughs> I'm colorblind. God. Last time things were this messed up, I sent a flood. <laughs> it's not only how you live, or how you pray, it's how you live. God. Going back to the class that I heard you open door too, Bill. If the flood had come today, would you have missed the boat? <laughs> there are lots of other very interesting kinds of things that are there. Uh, I exist, therefore you are. God. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised at what I'm willing to forget. God. And as part of this whole theme, we're in this together, you know. God. One that I particularly like because it's for going back to some of the people in the midst of their childhood and where they've been raised, is we used to get together at bedtime. God. The man who did this is not a practicing Christian. He was asked to take this on as an experiment in terms of a process that was to be there uh, because this person wanted to put these, these uh, things up. And he didn't want his name or her name, we don't know, to show anywhere. So they put up $150,000 for these billboards. And it went viral in our generation, we use that phrase. So that by the time it was finished, the, the uh, National Association of Billboard People, whoever they are, decided we want to do this as a public service thing. And so 10,000 billboards in 200 cities in the United States suddenly had these appearing, different ones on different days. He shares a little bit of his own experience, and I'm coming to this because 
he shares somewhat of what I think of as long-suffering on behalf of God. He said, I've been asked why God Speaks, that's the name of the book, has generated so much interest. And of course, I can only speculate, starting where most writers start, with myself. And he goes on to say, I think people want to think more deeply about their lives to find some meaning. And God has a sense of humor from his perspective. But this is the sentence I want us to get to. But I think there's another reason why these quotes from God resonate with people. The God at the heart of this is an approachable, caring deity. He is not only a wise and forgiving friend, but rather a presence who has seen all the human foibles, who understands our trials and tribulations, yet urges us to reevaluate every day, even on the fly, our internal moral compass, to keep the big picture in mind, to make our lives matter, and he speaks in a kind and gentle way. I wonder what the spiritual journey of this man was as he worked through this, because he's really talking about that long-suffering God who is so patient with us. The fruit of the Spirit we're looking at this morning is long-suffering patience. King James puts it this way, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. New Revised Standard Version says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. I'd like to suggest that this letter that Paul writes to the Galatians is anything but temperate and long-suffering. He writes to a church that is rife with heresy, and his work is being destroyed. And so as he reacts, and this is probably the first of the letters of Paul, he's writing about to a group of people who are just learning what it is to be Christians, to follow Christ. And they don't have what we call the New Testament that they can turn to readily. They've had these guys, probably Paul and Barnabas, come, share with them the good news, baptize them, and develop the church. As Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, he says to them, and you became followers of us. You became imitators of us. So the best they had were to imitate the Christians that they had met. I sometimes wonder what kind of life people would live around me if they were imitating me. But that's another kind of question. You can wrestle with that for yourself. But this new church is just learning the implications of the Lordship of Christ and all that it means to be a believer. And then a group of people come from Jerusalem and try to say, you've got to be a good Jew before you're going to be a good Christian. Walk the way of the law. And Paul really comes on hard. And so the first part of this book is about him defending himself as an apostle. They've attacked him personally. The second part is to clear up the heresy that we and says they're no longer under the law, but under the grace. Under grace. It's not that the law is not important, but they live now under grace. We're called to be free. And then the last part of the book is freedom has limits. And in the midst of that, these people, many of whom have been pagans, now have to wrestle with, you don't go back to that old lifestyle. This was a particularly important work, by the way, for Martin Luther. Of the freedom of a Christian man, and Luther would argue that you're only free when you're filled with Christ and walk with Him. All other ways of life are bondage. I very quickly want to take a look at long-suffering, 
patience in three different things. First of all, long-suffering is a characteristic of God. Look at your own life and you say, yes, it is. <laughs> God's dealing with me. He has been long-suffering. There's lots of evidence in terms of scripture that's there. He's the source of long-suffering because it's part of his character. And we can turn to Exodus and a number of other passages. He's patient with sinners. At the same time, his long-suffering is not limitless. There are points at which you can push God beyond his limit. But he's always willing to listen and to wait. The long-suffering God in the days of Noah, the word had gone out. You're sinning. You need to get right. Noah took many years building the ark. That fool. And then the rains came. Our patience doesn't mean that we're never angry. It says we're slow to anger, and that's the way God has dealt with us. You remember the illustration of, of Abraham pleading the case of Sodom and Gomorrah. If, if, if. And God said, yes, yes, yes. And then there came the point where there was no beyond. And so it doesn't mean that anger and impatience is incorrect. It means that we need to be slow. Ron Graham said, God's patience is illustrated, is illustrated in that dig it and dung it parable. Remember where the landlord goes out to check his trees and there's this fig tree that hasn't grown any fruit in three years and he says to the gardener, cut it down. It's worthless. And the gardener says, I'll give him one more year. I'll dig around it and I will dung around it and then if in a year there's no fruit, then we'll cut it down. God is long-suffering. It's part of his character. And when his spirit comes to dwell in us through the Holy Spirit, it becomes part of our character whether we recognize it or not, or whether we practice it or not. I like the way William Hendrickson puts this in his commentary. Be in practice what you are in principle. <laughs> and that's sometimes so very hard to do. We can lay out all the great principles, but it's much harder to practice. I think the context of this patient, the, this passage is that patience or long-suffering is in the context of fellowship. As he's trying, as Paul is writing here, he's trying to say, as believers, this is the way you live. And this is what relationship is all about, and it begins with love, and I guess you can say love covers all the others, which it does. But we live in a very impatient age. We don't like to wait. I mean, my new computer is much faster than my old for getting on the internet. I mean, I've gained a whole four seconds every time I turn on the computer in Google Play. Isn't it a wonderful thing? Or you live in the valley and you realize that many of us are over 60. We don't drive as fast as we used to. And so cars go zooming by to get to the stoplight just one car ahead of us so that they can turn in the shopping center one car ahead of us. I would never do that, obviously. <laughs> in relationships, how impatient we sometimes become. Now, I have to admit, I find it difficult to be patient with people who disagree with me, particularly when they're being stupid. <laughs> but <laughs> it admits that that's maybe where we need to practice patience and long-suffering the most. Patience, then, is that characteristic which we exercise in our relationship to others, that attitude toward God 
and his toward us that we work out. Now, I need to tell you, long-suffering and patience cannot be taught. It can be modeled, it can be learned, but it cannot be taught. It's something that grows in the person as time goes on sometimes. Now, some people are born patient. Some of us have to be taught to be patient in terms of we didn't learn it, but God and his dealing with us has enabled us to understand certain things. It's learned by experience, as we experience God in our life, and as the Holy Spirit does His work, and works out His will within our lives. Paul, as he wrote to the church at Corinth, said, Love suffers long and is kind. So that's why we perhaps could suggest that, that it's in the midst of our lives that God's patience comes every day, and because it comes to us, we must share it with others. There's that striking parable in Matthew of the unmerciful or the impatient servant. Or remember the story of the king who is weighing up what's happening in his kingdom? He calls in his servants and says, pay up. And the one who owed 10,000 bags of gold said, oh, master, I don't have it. He pled his case so very well that the king said, it's forgiven. Go away. And then he goes and finds one of his servants who owed him a hundred gold coins and says, pay up. He said, I can't. Please forgive me. Off to jail you go. When the word comes back to the king, the king says, unfaithful servant, you are going to go to jail. And so in the midst of that, there is a limit to patience. But sometimes we even try God's patience. But you can imagine what it's like in a community where people learn to be patient with one another. Where we understand that we're not always all on the same page. Nor are we always in the midst of this life moving at the same rate. Some of us just take longer to learn than others. A paraphrase of Ephesians chapter 4 says this. Think how our lives would be affected if long-suffering were exhibited in individual relationships, family relationships, church relationships, and workplace relationships. The old nature can be very short-fused at times, and we tend to strike back against offenses with unkind words and unforgiving spirits. By obeying the Holy Spirit, the believer in Christ can say no to retaliation and exhibit a forgiving and long-suffering attitude. As God is long-suffering with us, we can and must be long-suffering with others. I've dealt with the concept of patience, particularly as it relates to others. But I want to play a little bit with the theme of long-suffering, or suffering long. I'm sure that Dr. Gardner suggested this as a theme, because Myrna's been on a journey of ill health for the last few years. Elizabeth's family walked the same road for many years before her dad went to be with the Lord. With pain as a constant companion and life slowly getting more and more narrow. It's been 10 years since we were able to travel very far. We went to her fun mother's funeral about five years ago and she ended up in the hospital. It's been 10 years since she's been able to go to church. Not only because of just the sitting and so on, but the noise now because of one of her conditions means that life has been changed a bit. I mean, we 
we don't have music in our house anymore because it hurts. And if you're going to watch television, probably 10, 20 minutes at a time is about all that you could possibly do. It's just the way life is at this stage, and silence for the believer is not bad. I marvel, however, when she often says it's part of God's plan. God does not always explain to us why things come our way and the journey that he's given us. But he does assure us of his presence as part of the journey. I think we live life a bit differently. We live a large life in small things. And it means then that you treasure certain things and friendships and other aspects of life that you probably had not taken time to treasure before. Some things in our life now we think probably we came too late to them. And that's probably true in terms of things we'd like to do. But it takes a full lifetime to experience God's plan in our life. I don't know if your life has developed exactly as you had hoped or planned. I'm assuming it probably has not. <laughs> I'm sure that life has given you curves and sent you in directions that you never expected to go. Nancy Bistler says, asks this question. Who on earth wants to learn long-suffering or patient enduring? The biblical answer, she says, is by learning long-suffering. And believe it or not, long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 lists it as number four on a list of ten. Now, all of us yearn for the fruit of love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. But no thank you. And yet, Paul tells us in Timothy that he himself is a perfect model of that in Christ's long-suffering. He says that since Christ patiently endured his Paul's sinful ways, we must remember this example and patiently endure others' sinful ways. She goes on to say, Long-suffering simply means suffering that seems to last forever. But please hear this. Long-suffering is always associated with hope and mercy. There is the opposite of, it is the opposite of despair, discouragement, and depression. First Thessalonians, Paul said, Remember, ring without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Job is an excellent example of long-suffering. As I worked through this, I went back to my youth, and one of the courses I took when I was a student at Gordon was the book of Job under Dr. Johnson. And he had us read three commentators, commentators and and then write our own commentary. That was a major assignment. I've always found it fascinating that in the midst of his life, Job never received the answer to the question, why? He cried out to God, why me? God never answers it, but he showed him some of himself. Job's great confidence in God is reflected in those words, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Handel in his great oratorio, The Messiah, as the sopranos sing, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and on the earth again shall stand. And if you haven't listened to that lately, go to YouTube and listen to it. Because it causes you to think in new and different <coughs> ways about your confidence in the one who will stand. 
The summer I was 19, I had the privilege of working in the Moncton City Hospital as an orderly. Those are days when you could come along and, and apply for a job, and they even gave a kid in between semesters a job like that. I was also courting a nurse whom I hoped was going to say yes if I ever asked her to marry me. And she finally did, by the way. A week from this Friday was celebrating 51 years of marriage. I remember very well Mr. Turner. His dad had been a fellow, uh, pardon me, his son had been a fellow student of mine and he was dying of terminal cancer. Every time the nurses touched him, he groaned and moaned because he was in such agony. And he'd always say, it's okay, dear. It's okay, dear. And in the midst of that, his Christian witness was a shining thing within that whole floor. It's not that his room became a shrine, but they knew that in spite of what they had to do, and it was going to cause him agony, it's okay, dear. I got a call at 6 o'clock one morning. I was on the floor below, and Bob come up, Bob. Mr. Turner's died, so it was my job to take his body to the morgue. But it was not a sad job. And I found it interesting in the midst of, of the talk around him, how much they had appreciated his faith and the way that he had shared it as he faced death. One author says, long-suffering is simply love that endures all circumstances. Are you willing to learn this kind of love? Vernon's favorite author is F.B. Meyer. She has about 50 of his books, and like another 50 if we can ever find them. He was touched by the Holiness Movement in the late 19th century and a significant writer in his own way, but I just want to read two paragraphs from this. Perhaps you, perhaps you say, I know rationally that the Spirit is within me, but I so infrequently experience His power, guidance, and comfort. Why? It is because your life is so hurried. You do not take time enough for meditation and prayer. The Spirit of God cannot be discerned while the heart is occupied with anxieties, the pulse beats quickly, or the brain is filled with troubling thoughts. It is when water stands still that it becomes translucent and reveals the pebbly beach below. Be still, and know that God is within you and around you. In the hush of the soul, the unseen becomes visible and the eternal real. Let no day pass without silently waiting before God and allowing His Spirit to reveal Himself to you. I'd like to suggest that Paul makes it clear in the passage that long-suffering is not possible without the indwelling of the Spirit. And as he talks about the Spirit, he moves very quickly to the cross. And he says that all of these lie in Christ on the cross. In verse 25, one of the translations says, If we live by the Spirit, by the Spirit let us also walk. 